Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Oh, man, have I got a long list of stuff to talk to you about tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to reach me tonight and join in the conversation, I certainly invite that. Uh, the numbers are 343-700-4390. You can use the long-distance line at 844 844- Five six two four seven six six. You can also send me an email to nick at latenightcouncil dot com, and you can, if you want to post a comment on Facebook, you can certainly do that. If you want to become a member of Nick's Nights, send me a friendship request. I'll approve it, and you you uh, can certainly uh, join the conversation that way. Uh, I keep an eye on all forms of communication during the show. So if you post something on Facebook or if you send me an email, give me a few minutes to, to check with to check it during breaks and things along that line because um, <clears throat> this is basically a one-man show, so I've got about 14 plates in the air. And believe me, it's what I was born to do. All right. First of all, before I get started tonight, let me ask you, <clears throat> have you ever wondered – I know I was thinking, I was actually, I got to give credit. I was listening to the, I think his name is Michael. Uh, Michael Levin, it's not Michael. His name, last name is Levin anyway. He's out of New York City. Okay, he's a talk show host there. Very, very bright man. And I was listening to him um, the other night. I was driving in the car, it was late at night. And I just flicked on the radio and I didn't want to listen to, God help me. If you're reduced to CBC, you've got to find something to listen to, something else to listen to. So I listened to that for a little bit. Then I, I was flicking around the channels and remembered that there, when I used to drive truck in the United States, um, I listened to all kinds of um, talk stations and some of the n- call signs and numbers of the stations I still remember. So I flipped over to uh, one of them out of New York City, and uh, I want to say Ben Levin, but that's the wrong one. That's the... The doctor, the guy who was a pedophile of the Kathleen Wynne. I certainly don't want to associate this particular Mr. Levin with that. But anyway, and he was asking uh, a very important question, and I thought I, it made me stop and think. Now, that doesn't take much. I'll be honest with you. Because my mind is like, a, uh, uh, I was going to say a well-oiled machine. Um, it's more rusty than well-oiled. But once it gets going, it, it's it's like... A great big, imagine a turbine on two bearings, and you get it spinning really fast, and it's a great big heavy turbine. It takes a long time for that to wind down. My mind works the same way. I get it going, and then it just takes forever. Like One of my big curses is falling asleep at night because my mind won't quit. It's always turning things over in my mind. And he asked the basic question, which kind of spun the old turbine up to speed. Excuse me. That asked me, he said, you know, there's a lot of people out there who talk about the hows, like how do we do this and how do we do that? Whether it's in politics, science, mechanics, you know, they, they, they concentrate on the how, but they never really get into the why. And of those two things, the how and the why, guess which one's more important? That's right, the why. Because who cares how if you don't have a why? If there's something in life you want, you know you have to know why you want it before you figure out how you're going to get it. Now, how does that apply to a, a little redneck uh, talk show host out of the hills of Killaloo uh, sitting in the bunker here talking to you every Wednesday night for a couple of hours about the things that he cares passionately about, hopefully the same kindness of things that you care about? 
Well, the answer to that is I care about the why because the why, when it comes to politics, I care about uh, peace, order, and good governance. I care about um, making sure that people we elect to office have integrity. And the why is because that's how things are supposed to work. Okay, now it's not a perfect world. We're always going to have corruption in politics. Corruption in politics, I almost said are like mom and apple pie, but I, 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 like, I like pie and I like uh, the woman that I call mom. Um, I'm talking about my wife in this case because my own mother's passed on now. But they're inseparable. But that doesn't mean we have to tolerate it, and that does not mean that we have to continue to put up with it, uh, You know that we can't work to try to eliminate it. It's like saying... We can't stamp out poverty, but we can sure lay the boots to it. Okay, we'll never get rid of it, but we can certainly reduce it. And the why is because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. To, in, instead of, when you, some of the things I'll get in tonight are, are some of the antics that people who are opposed to the democratic way of life, who are opposed to free markets and our culture of f- freedom, Okay, they have a why. But we're so comfortable and we are so intellectually lazy. And I'm talking about us here on the right. Those who call ourselves conservatives many times are as guilty of intellectual laziness as are those who oppose us. For different reasons. One of the reasons is because if it doesn't happen exactly the way that we think as individuals, it needs to happen. Like if I come up with an idea to solve a problem, okay, might not be perfect, but it get the job done. The guy sitting next to me say, oh, well, you didn't consider this and therefore this won't work. And we get into a fist fight and nothing gets done because it didn't happen my way. We're really good at that. We chew each other's ears off. Now, there's times, and I'm going to get into a time, where that's absolutely necessary. All right? You see, on the one side of the coin, on the left-hand side of the aisle, principle and integrity don't matter. They really don't. They don't care. They work for the end, and they don't care about the means. Now, I'm painting with a mighty broad brush. I'm talking about, in general the tactics and the mindset of the vast majority of people who consider themselves left on the left-hand side of the... the, uh, Certainly the leadership uh, feels this way, that what you do doesn't matter as long as you get to the other end of the... as long as you come out on top. That's why you see so much dirty politics. That's how you see people doing and saying things like some of the stuff I'll get into tonight that we would never consider doing. But it's when there, there are times for dissension in the ranks when leadership betrays us. And yes, I've got lots to say on that tonight. So when you have something come along, you have to know not only how to defeat it, but before you can figure out how, you have to know why it matters. It's, the other way of saying this is you have to know where to pick your battles. Some, things are, some hills are worth dying on and some aren't. And you have to be able to figure out the two. That takes two ingredients to be able to make that decision. Number one, you have to have information. Three ingredients. You have to have the intelligence to gather the right information. And number three, you need the wisdom to know how to employ it. Now, the left are very good at the first two. 
And they have, and again, I'm speaking in broad brush-stroked terms here, because there's lots of people on the left who are good people, good-hearted. They just don't see the world the same way we do. And I'm not saying that every single person who thinks that way is evil or bad or rotten. But those who are in positions of authority, who sell out principle, who won't stand on fundamental truth and freedom or, or principle, and, and, you know, they're just – anything will – excuse me. It doesn't matter what it takes to get the job done. They're willing to do it. If it means selling their soul to the devil, they'll do it as long as they get what they want. Okay, it's those kinds of people that we have the problem with. But you're, if your neighbor says, look, I just don't like seeing hungry people on the street. I don't like seeing young ladies, you know, having 20 years of their life trashed because they made a mistake at a party one night. And now they're pregnant. All right. That's called compassion. Now, their solutions are misguided. But at least I'm not painting those particular people as demonic or evil or anything like that. They just, maybe they've never been presented with the other argument. Or maybe it just, they've, been, they've felt that way for so long that to change their mind now is just too painful. It just means a revocation of everything they thought they believed. And to, to change their mind takes a tremendous amount of courage. All right. But in general, those on the left, as a, as a group, don't care about principle. They don't care about integrity. They don't care about honesty. They will do anything and everything to win. You saw that in the Clinton campaign. You saw that in the, in the liberal campaigns here in, in, in Canada. And there's, to a certain extent, every party is guilty of it. And I'm not, I am not going to sit here and say the conservatives are, are pure as the wind driven the snow and, you know, have never done anything wrong. I'm not saying that. I, because people are people are human, and you have people who care more about power than they do about integrity in every party. And there's plenty of examples on both sides of the aisle. But in general, people who are on the right side of the, of the spectrum care about the fundamental uh, inherent uh, rights of individuals. They care about truth and integrity. They care about individual liberty. They care. These are all the whys. Okay. These are why we oppose people like Kathleen Wynne. This is why we oppose the Hillary Clintons of the world, because they stand in defiance of these things. They stand there as roadblocks to allowing people to be the very best to borrow an old army slogan from the U.S. Army, be the best that you can be. Used to be an old recruiting slogan. But that's a simple truth. If you can't be the best you can be here, where else are you going to go? And yet their idea of the best that you can be is a good little taxpayer who follows in line, doesn't argue, pays 50% of your income and more to the, to the coffers of the government because the government is now God. It's the new religion. But people like you and I, we believe in individual freedom. We believe in, in individual integrity, honesty, accountability, and standing up for what's right. That's why we care about these things. So if I could start off the show with anything, let's remind us ourselves why we're in this fight in the first place. Because this is a fight that doesn't end with the next election. This is a fight that's been going on since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. If you're not religious since the caveman walked out of the first cave. 
who cares when when humanity first began for as far back into into ancient history as you want to go this fight has been going on freedom versus slavery it's the oldest fight on the planet and we will not defeat it today tomorrow or the next day but it is a fight we must continue and we must remember it we must have a clear sense of why we're fighting it and what our weapons are integrity honesty accountability the belief in the individ- in the freedom of the individual to succeed or fail as they see fit according to their strengths and weaknesses that doesn't mean we're not compassionate that doesn't mean that we don't reach out to help those around us who need a hand but we want to make it a hand up not a hand out we want the road they're on not to be a dead-end road, but a highway entrance ramp back onto the highway of life. Those are old corny sayings, but there's a fundamental truth to them. You know that old saying, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, if he feeds himself for, his, for the rest of his life. Old, 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 but so true. So tonight, we're going to continue down the road of fighting this fight, but I wanted to start off by reminding all of us why we're in this fight in the first place. I hope it's why you listen, whether to the live broadcast or the podcast. I hope there's something in the two hours I spend here every, every Wednesday night going over this stuff that this, that's in some small way, I can give you a little more, another arrow in your quiver, another, you know, um, bullet for your gun, Call, give you some more weapons to be able to carry on the fight. Another little piece of information that you can use to help, I oh, I almost said re-educate. <laughs> no, to help people understand a little more clearly where we're coming from and why we feel that this is the best way to live. Yes, some people are going to fail. Think about this. When it comes to, because you hear all these slogans all the time, no child left behind, and all this stuff where you know, they have, uh, now you get the medals and trophies for participating. Well, who cares whether you, you know what? We all participate in the game of life. Some people win, and, and, you know, nobody gets out of the game alive. That's, for, that's one thing. And the other thing is, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And you need to learn how to, because everybody is one of those things at one point or another in their lives. No one is just a winner and no one is just a loser. Because of some things you're going to win and some things you're going to lose. And having the grace and the integrity and the human decency to deal with both. With modesty, humility, and looking about, and, self, and a little bit of self-depreciation is what we lack in large measure in this culture. But it's the under, you know, when you run into somebody who have those qualities, you've got somebody who is worth the time to get to know better because they have integrity. They know what their strengths or weaknesses are. They're not boastful, but they're confident. They're not arrogant. They're just comfortable in their own skin. Those are rare people indeed. And those kinds of people, if they rise to any kind of level at all, history remembers. With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll, be, we'll have more right here on the Nick and Knight Show.
We often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. Welcome back, everybody. I have, if this is the right one, a clip that runs about four and a half minutes long. Not quite, may 4.45. Uh, yeah, this is the Brian Lilly clip. He's talking about, you know, you know that Trudeau's had this, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to love Brian. He's a great guy. He's a friend of mine, and uh, uh, we tease each other about being brothers separated at birth. Um, but he does a, a vid- he does a video for Rebel Media. And he talks about Trudeau's Love uh, Love Me Tour and how it's not quite going the way that it was planned. Uh, it was in the news this week, and he was talking about uh, answering questions asked to him in English in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Um, this lady asked about veterans' benefits and so on in English, and he answered them in French. So he's got about a, four, a little over four-minute clip here I want to play for you because, <laughs> oh, man, this kid and the, the boy king, the, you know, there's an old, there's another old saying. I love old sayings because there's a whole bunch of truth in them. And the first one is, um, how's it go now? The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. And that really sums up the boy King Trudeau. And the reason it does is because it doesn't matter what he tries to do. You, you know something, as Brian alludes to in this clip, and I'll play it here for you in a second. He goes off script and he's a disaster because he's not, look, I'm not saying he's an, a lot of people call him an idiot. A lot of people call him stupid. He's neither of those things. He's not an idiot. He's not stupid. But his intellect isn't very deep. He has what I would call average intelligence. If you changed his his name to Justin Smith or Justin Brown, um, okay, or some other uh, common Canadian name, 
you wouldn't give him the time of day, and you would never vote for him for prime minister because he doesn't have the qualities necessary to be one. I'm reading a book right now called Cold Fire. Um, the author, oh, I forget the name of the author, but it's a really good book. It's about this, the Cuban Missile Crisis, John Diefenbaker, Lester Pearson, and John F. Kennedy. And oh my Lord, am I learning a lot in that book. That chapter of our history is fascinating. Do you realize how close we came to a nuclear war back in 1962? It was unbelievable. And the role that Canada played in it? Just staggering. But the statesmanship, this is the part I was getting at. Uh, the statesmanship exhibited, okay, there were some dirty underhanded tricks, no doubt about it, by all parties involved, okay? No question. But it makes today's politics, or today's politics make this look like a disagreement at a Boy, Boy Scout camp. The mud and the raking and the absolute disgusting kind of things that go on and what passes for quali the quality of men that we elect is just incredible. Like, I'm gaining a whole new respect for John Diefenbaker, Lester Pearson, and Kennedy, even though it was Lester Pearson and his party who brought us socialism in the form that we recognize it today. They brought in um, the National Health Care Plan. They brought in um, retirement pensions. They brought in and all these things individually. You could say we're a collective good. But like any other government program, the only thing you can never do is kill it. Okay, you can expand it, you can change it, you can tweak it, but you can't kill it. And that's that's goes back all the way into the nineteen early late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties, is when these things took hold and we've been paying the price through uh ancillary programs that that benefit these programs and people. In other words, they just keep, they figured out how to pay you more money that you already have earned, given to them, and now they're giving them back to you, okay, the dollars involved. And that's in a whole different kind of enslavement. But the point I'm making is the statesmanship, even then, um, is of a, such a standard as we would be awe, in awe of these guys today because they were real statesmen. They They understood what they were doing they knew exactly what was going on, and they thought the consequences through and then made the decisions. Unlike what happens today in this clip that I'm going to tell you about now, there was or play for you now, there was no thought about what might happen, uh, no connection with what's going on in the real world, and it didn't exactly go Justin Trudeau's way. And according to Brian um, in this clip, I'm trying to, it's posted on the 19th of this month, so it's not all that old. Uh, certainly within the last not even 10 days yet, it's not over. <laughs> he's, still only, he's only done the Maritimes, Quebec, and Ontario. He still has all the prairies in B.C. to do yet. All right, so here it is. This is Brian Lilly uh, talking about the Love Me Tour by the, by the boy king, young Mr. Trudeau. I'm Brian Lilly with the Rebel.media. It was supposed to be a tour that would rehabilitate his image, one that would chip away at the idea that Justin Trudeau was a spoiled, elite millionaire playboy hanging out on private islands with billionaires accepting gifts he shouldn't have. Now, while we saw big crowds and adoring fans, the truth is Trudeau wound up insulting many of those fans. He made silly statements, and the tour is just as likely to be remembered for gaffes as anything else. Here's the thing, though. The tour is only halfway through. He's done Ontario and Quebec, Atlantic Canada, still has to do the prairies in British Columbia. But here's a few highlights that Team Trudeau wish we wouldn't remember. Highlight number one, telling an English-speaking woman in Sherbrooke, Quebec, 
who asked about mental health services not being available for the English-speaking minority, that he would answer her question in French because he was in Quebec. I would really appreciate your comments on this subject. Merci. Thank you. Um, si vous permettez, je réponds en français pour que tout le monde puisse entendre. Uh, mais uh, merci de votre utilisation de nos deux langues officielles au, au, au pays. Uh, mais uh, on est... Okay, I want to stop the clip there because I'm, I'm going to roll it back just a little bit. I'm going to tell, translate for you what he just said because I hadn't noticed this before. All right, so he asked permission first to answer in, in French because he's in Quebec. We all know that part, but listen to this. But thank you for using one of our nation's two official languages. Think about that for a second. Thank you for using... <laughs> What would he have said if she'd asked him in Swahili? <laughs> or what if he, he, she had used Mandarin? Or if she was Ukrainian and spoke to him in Ukrainian? Oh, my good Lord. Look, everybody knows there's two official languages. So to say thank you for using one of them is such a stupid, shallow statement. There's obviously nothing going on. Nobody at home upstairs. Okay, let's get back to the clip. In fact, Trudeau did that five more times. He answered all six English questions, including two from immigrants who were speaking broken English and not able to speak French. He answered them all in French. The Ontario born and raised Trudeau loves to call himself a Quebecer and then turned around and said, A, he was defending official bilingualism, and B, was surprised that there's so many English questions in Sherbrooke. Really? Is this his first trip to the Eastern Township, an area with a huge English population? That'd be like showing up in northern Ontario and being shocked to find people speaking French. But while Trudeau said he defends official bilingualism, he also defended answering Anglophones in French because he says he has to defend French in Quebec. I will always defend official bilingualism. I uh, believe deeply in it, uh, but I also uh, uh, understand uh, the importance of, uh, of uh, speaking French, of defending the French language uh, in Quebec, and uh, that is something I will uh, continue to do while respecting minority language rights uh, across the country. All righty. How is that defending bilingualism? You know, you, liberals used to complain when conservative ministers would tweet in English or French only. There was even a tongue lashing of this practice from the Commissioner of Official Languages. Well, now Trudeau is facing three official complaints to the Commissioner of Official Languages over his bizarre performance in Sherbrooke. And now the, the new Commissioner, Ghislaine Selecki, who used to help the last Commissioner, Graham Fraser, harass flight attendants, store clerks in Ottawa, civil servants across the country, she'll now have to examine the actions of the PM. Add that to the news that came out during the tour that Trudeau's the first PM in history to be investigated by the ethics commissioner. All of this over a free trip. I'm betting that Team Trudeau would have stayed home or gone to Davos. What else did Trudeau do that was memorable on this Please Love Me tour? Well, he claimed to understand the immigrant experience because his grandfather on his mother's side was an immigrant. It's true. Jimmy Sinclair came to Canada from Scotland in 1911 at the age of three. He made a fortune as a business executive, served 18 years as a Liberal MP, so typical, or not. He also blamed high hydro prices that an Ontario woman complained about on our dependence on oil, said he couldn't do much about it because it was provincial jurisdiction, 
And then he turned around and said Canada needs to phase out the oil sands and the oil industry, which is provincial jurisdiction. So he simultaneously annoyed Ontario voters concerned about crazy rates they're being forced to pay, the energy poverty that Trudeau's friend, Ontario Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne, is causing due to her policies, and he also annoyed voters in Alberta and Saskatchewan who rely on the oil industry for their livelihood by saying, I want to shut down your jobs. This was supposed to be a tour that showed him as being in touch, connected with the middle class and those working hard to join it. Instead, this tour just confirmed that Trudeau is extremely out of touch, that when taken off script, he's a hazard to his handlers, that when it comes to the current concerns of ordinary Canadians, he's just in way in over his head. But then again, if you've been paying attention to Trudeau for the last few years, you already knew that. Okay, so there you go. That's Brian's take on that. You know something? This guy, this kid, he's, he comes out and he says, um, as Brian was alluding to, that on one hand, he's just busy. The best, he, the best thing he seems to be able to accomplish is just ticking off everybody. And his point about shutting down the oil sands, doesn't that tell you he really has no clue? Like, look... Whether you like crude oil or not, or whether you like um, uh, fossil fuel or not, you have to at least admit that in a country like Canada, we have primarily two seasons, summer and winter. And we have short bursts of spring and fall, but for the most part, we're either really warm or really cold. And both of those situations excuse me, require air conditioning in the summertime and heating in the winter. Both energy intensive. If you live in Canada, especially if you live out west, think think about this. The only place in the country, and even then you can't get away from it, where you might get away using a little less energy in the winter time because it's not as cold, is down in Essex County near Windsor. They call it the banana belt. It's the warmest region in the country. Now, those in Vancouver may have a little bit different attitude about it, but in general, because it's so far south, it's as far south there as the northern tip of uh, California. They have a whole different microclimate down there because it's, you know, it's, that, it's, it's, south, it's south of Detroit. If you look at the map, you'll see what I'm talking about. So <clears throat> they can get away with a little, a little less energy for the winter. But that's such a tiny fragment of the whole country. Look at Newfoundland. Look at, uh, uh, go to Alberta. You know why they call Cold Lake Cold Lake? Because it's cold up there. And when it's cold, people only really have one choice. you got to find a way to make your house warm. And the cheapest, easiest way to do that is with fossil fuel. And he goes, on top of that, it's also the greatest source of revenue for the very government he's in charge of. It also employs tens of thousands of people in Alberta and lots of spinoff. It's the economic engine of the country. And he says, oh, we got to shut it down. Is it any wonder Alberta's not exactly what I would call liberal friendly? There's not much going on upstairs. Then he says in an article, he says he misspoke. Okay, here's the headline. Justin Trudeau says he misspoke with talk of phasing out oil sands. No, Mr. Trudeau, you didn't misspoke. You meant it. But then you found out there's consequences for being stupid. Or I said he's not stupid. He's not stupid. But for saying stupid things. You can't phase out the oil sands any more than you can turn off the sun. 
unless you've got cold fusion figured out or some other way, some other fuel that will give you as much energy in as, in as small a package as fossil fuels will, you're stuck with it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing anyway, because what people keep forgetting is with fossil fuels, it provides for us a lot more than just heat for our homes and, and fuel for our vehicles. It provides medicines, plastics, all kinds of things. Think about this. If you didn't use fossil fuel and you went to the grocery store to buy your container of cottage cheese, would you put the cheese in? Because guess what it comes in now? A plastic container. Guess what plastic is? It's hardened gasoline. Okay, so maybe you don't like cottage cheese. All right. You want to go and get some fresh fish. What are you going to wrap it up in to take it home? It's laying there. Let's say you want a slab of smoked salmon. There's Atlantic salmon laying there, or there's a rainbow trout there, or maybe there's some lobster. You like shellfish. It's all laying on the ice. It's fresh. Within 24 hours, it's been caught in the ocean and brought to your grocery store. Never mind the fossil fuel about getting it there. Just take it home without fossil fuel or without petroleum paying, playing some role. When you go to check out, never mind what you bought, what do you put it in? You put it in a plastic bag. Do you know why we use plastic? Because somewhere down the road, about 10, 20 years ago, somebody said it's more sanitary than using paper bags. Because we got to save the trees. That was their logic. Forgetting the trees are just great big weeds. Cut them down, they'll grow again. You know, this is the kind of logic that Trudeau emphasizes. You know, in a way, he is a summation of the millennial generation. And I say that, again, painting with a mighty broad brush, because there's some very, very bright young people out there. But for the most part, they, they never have been taught. Actually, let me see if I can find it. I've got a clip that's going to blow your mind if I can find the... Where did it go? Let's see. Uh, no, that's the one about setting the girl's hair on fire. We'll get to that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they caught the jerk that punched the reporter. Uh, do I have it? Okay, I'll have to go see if I can find it. Anyway, there's a cl there. I thought I had it pulled up, and I guess I don't. Um, there's a clip I was watching earlier tonight that said, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there was a reporter down in the States talking to a young man, 19 years old, who just voted in his, late in his election. So the reporter says, oh, so this is a big day for you. This is, you know, a very important day for you. You voted in a really important, it's your first election. You're doing your civic duty. The guy said, yep, yep, yep. So he said, well, who did you vote for? Oh, I voted for Hillary Clinton. Why? Well, the look on his face was priceless. He didn't know what to say. He said, well, you know, uh, what made you pick? This is the, the, the top job in the country. What, in your mind, qualified Hillary Clinton to be, you know, president more than Donald Trump? Oh, the best he could come up with was she was more humanitarian. And then he got to the funniest part of the whole thing. And he said, what is government? And the kid had no idea. 
no, and I don't mean he just was, you know, well, it's what looks after the roads and all. No, the kid had no idea, none. He couldn't answer. He said, okay, you tell me what government is. Now, his, he, this guy was a, um, the, the guy doing the interview was a, um, uh, I don't want to call him an anarchist, but he said a government is an is a, a, a organization that enforces territorial boundaries through violence. Well, I, didn't, I won't go that far. Uh, no, I won't go anywhere near that far. Um, but the point was the kid had no idea. He said, did you go to school? Yep. Did you go to government? Did you, did you go to a public school? Did you go to government school? Oh, no, no, no. So he went to a private school. Well, no. So you went to a public school then? Well, yeah, I guess I did. So you went to a government school? Uh, um, the kid's 19. He just graduated. And the guy says, don't you find it funny that the government, you just spent 12 years in a government school, and they never bothered to educate you about what government means? The kid had no, at one point, the kid said, what's the point of this interview? He said, you're the point of the interview. You're the point of the interview. And the kid still didn't get it. Anyway. All right. Let's take a little break. I've got a commercial to run here, so we'll take the break. Come back with more right after this on the Nick at Night Show. The numbers are 343 Timo's 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning comes right to your driveway and makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timo's 2000, 613-327-8498, 613-327-8498, or go to timos2000.com.
All right. 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. If you want to join me, give me a call. We'll talk about whatever's on your mind. And while we're waiting for that, I got to tell you, look, I, uh, if you're trumped out, uh, I get it. I mean, it's been wall-to-wall Trump ever since last November. So I can understand a little bit of burnout and fatigue on the topic. So I'm not going to stay with this too long, but I got to tell you, you know, when, when, when I first heard about Donald Trump, I knew that there was something to the guy way back early in the campaign. Maybe you remember this. There was a reporter giving him grief, and he said, that's it, you're all done. The media takes things, they twist them out of context, you're all done, shut up. And he, he shut the guy down and took another question from somebody else. And the whole country went bananas because he said what was on the mind of millions of people, how the mainstream media tries to control everything, tries to control, uh, you know, who gets to say what, how long, and in what context. And he just shot him down on the spot, and the whole country jumped to their feet and pumped their fist and went, yeah! You remember that? I most certainly do because I was one of the ones jumping up and down doing it. Now, to me, it's been kind of interesting because as Canadians, we don't have a dog in this hunt. Yes, there are things he's doing that are going to have impacts on us. Trans-Pacific Partnership, NAFTA, all that stuff, okay? Uh, So trade and uh, things like that. Uh, We're going to have issues about defense and so on, you know, because we share a common border. And for the most part, we make up almost, well, we make up, with the exception of Mexico, two-thirds at least of uh, North America. And its defense rests on Canadian and American shoulders by and large. So there's going to be issues we have with this. So from that perspective, yes, it matters to us. But from the point of view of actually having a say over who gets elected down there and who doesn't, to go ahead and actually protest what happens down there is the height of folly. Like they just had a massive protest out in Vancouver. And it was ten to 15,000 people in front of the U.S. consulate over who they chose, who the Americans chose for their president because we didn't like it, or at least some people in this country didn't like it. What business is that of ours? How would we feel if they came up and say we elected somebody, uh, let's say, for example, Elizabeth May, God help us all, if Elizabeth May was elected and the Republicans in the United States said, wait a minute, we can't have our biggest trading partner with some commie greenie as, as, as the leader of the party, as the leader of the country. Oh, no. And they protest in their tens of thousands. They protest the Canadian in front of the Canadian embassy. And all this nonsense. How would we feel? We'd probably tell them to go buzz off. Mind your own business. Well, if that's true of us, why would it not be true of them? Why would they care one whit what we think of their choice? We're not paying taxes down there for the vast majority of us. We're not. We don't get to vote in their elections. So why do you think they're going to listen to anything we have to say in a protest? So there's that. But when it comes to Trump, the thing about it is that love him or hate him, you have got to admit, he is keeping his promises. The one I've got drawn up right now is this whole one. Remember, build that wall, build that wall. Well, according to Reuters, As of Wednesday, January 25th, here's the headline. 
Trump moves ahead with wall, puts stamp on U.S. immigration and security policy. Wasn't that one of the main features of his campaign in the first place? I'll build that wall. Here he is. Now, I had a friend of mine, I had a conversation with him yesterday, and he said, why is he doing everything with the executive order? Doesn't he have to pass laws to do this? Listen, if it's passed, if, it, if the policies he re, he's repealing, okay, the open border concept, uh, if he's repealing those through uh, executive order, it's because they were put in place by executive order. So instead of waiting six months to come up with a law, get it through the Congress, get it through the Senate, get it signed into law through their process, which is just as con- t- complex, convoluted, and twisted as ours is, and wait six months to a year, to have all kinds of panels and advisory boards and stakeholder meetings and all the kind of garbage that goes into it. If he does it by executive order right now, why would you? You know, if that's his promise and that's what millions of people voted for, why wait? Do it now. He's doing it. He did it on immigration. He did it on. Uh, he he sh- shut down, uh, uh, put a temporary ban on immigration from about a half a dozen or maybe even more countries from the Middle East and North Africa. Okay, because of the threat of of terrorism, Islamic terrorism coming out of those corners of the world. I mean, he's just he's he's you got to take him seriously from the point of view that he's a man that says when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Now, to be fair, right now what he's doing is picking off the fr- low hanging fruit, the easy stuff. All right, like putting a high ref- hiring freeze on civil servants except for the military. That's easy. There's not too many people who don't work for the government, and that number grows by leaps and bounds on a yearly basis, especially here in Canada. Um, But to put a hiring freeze on that, the people who voted for them, they're not going to argue with that. It's what they want. they got to get control of their debt, right? The first thing you do is if you're in trouble financially as a business, you don't go out and hire more people. you got to have the business volume to justify the wages. Well, he says, we can't do that, therefore we're not going to hire anymore. He's doing what he said he's going to do. And you know something? That is what is driving the people in the swamp who's finding the water getting shallower and shallower because somebody's poked a hole in the edge of the swamp and it's draining. Okay? Um, They're the ones who are just losing their minds. But for everybody else... They're just nodding, going, keep on going. He's going to build that wall. He's going to build that wall. And every time he does something like this, the next time he stands up and he says, I am going to, people will take him seriously because not the last time he said it, he followed through and he did it. Maybe you read Mike Harris's book, the former Premier of Ontario, where you know he laid out what he was going to do, and then he went ahead and did it and won two majorities in a row. People like it. When you promise them something and then you follow through, they just like it. All right, let's shift over to, well, first of all, the other thing I should mention is now, according to um, another news agency called Sputnik, I wonder where that one's from, Russia has received coordinates of day's targets in Aleppo, in the Aleppo province from the U.S. via the direct line, the Russia Defense Ministry said Monday. The United States has provided coordinates of the terrorist targets in the city of Elbab in Aleppo province for Russian airstrikes. After the reconnaissance check, Russia and two coalition jets have conducted joint airstrikes on the Daesh targets, which is ISIS. Um, on January 22nd, the Russian command center at the... Oh, boy. 
Hymenum Air Base have received coordinates of the targets in Al-Bab Aleppo province via the direct line from U.S.-led coalition headquarters. So up until the 20th of, of January, the U.S. was not cooperating with Russia and was mad at Russia for going after these targets. Since the 20th, they've been feeding them coordinates, and now they're working together to stomp out one of the greatest evils on the planet. Didn't he promise he was going to do that? Yeah, he did. So here we have it again. He's doing what he said he was going to do. Okay. Now, um, yes, there was a. I'll just tell you that I won't play the clip because it's mostly visual. There's a clip on YouTube if you want to look it up. Andy Trump protester lights a girl's hair on fire. And what's funny about this, it seems to be these people, uh, these little children, when they lose, they're having temper tantrums and they don't know what else to do, so they turn violent. They're having a protest, and for the most part, they're just chanting, right? They've got their stupid little signs, and it's all about the signs. And this one girl who's protesting the protesters is standing there, and she stands next to the sign and gets a friend of hers to take a picture. While she's got her back turned to the protesters, somebody reaches up with a lighter, one of the young female protesters, with a lighter and sets the girl's hair on fire. She's got long brown hair down over her shoulders, about midway down her back. And she sets the ends of it on fire. So when she turns and steps away, you can see the flame on her back. And the guy next to her pounds a flame out. She thinks she's taking a beating, turns around ready to clock the guy. He goes, no, 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 your hair was on fire. Just like mind dead, brain dead. Anyway, um, let's see. Before I get into that, uh, I'm going to get into uh, some... uh, local politics here in the province. But i got to play you this clip. This runs about a minute 30 long. Let me set the stage for you. There's, uh, it's at one of the Denver Nuggets uh, basketball games. I believe it's at halftime. And there's a family of four kids and a mom. Um, they're with one of the public address announcers down at center court. They've got the mascot. And their father serves uh, with the National Guard over in uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember which one. I think it comes up in the clip. And it's all about what happens. Now, these kids have no idea what's going to happen, but uh, I, think it, I think the clip talks about it. This is uh, from ABC News. So let me play this clip for you. And if this doesn't warm your heart, I don't know what will. I'm here with Courtney Fuquay. She is the wife of Army Staff Sergeant David Fuquay, who's currently serving in his fourth tour of duty at Operation United Assistance. I'm also here with his two daughters, Kylie and Alina, and his two nephews, Jacob and Jeremy. They're here for a very special birthday celebration. Well, your dad and uncle wanted to send you guys a very special birthday message. Let's take a look. Hey kids, I want to wish you an early happy birthday from Monrovia. I wish I could be there with you to celebrate, but I can't. My special friend, Rocky, has brought you guys some birthday presents. Well, you guys heard him. Oh. Let's head to center court. We got some birthday gifts that Rocky wants to pass out. Are you ready? All right, Rocky, let's take him over. Team signed basketball, that is awesome. What about you, Miss Kylie? Oh, it's Olaf on one. What's that, Rocky? One? Of course you have one more gift. What do you got, Rocky? Now, you can't see this, but the mascot's just gone over to the side court and brought 
the sergeant out and they're meeting at center court and these kids are weeping like willows and they're crawling all over them and they're just overwhelmed by the story this is a great story and just to see that kind of stuff it's just i love it All right, so there you go. I don't know if you got uh, got anything out of that, but if you want to watch that, it's a military dad pulls off the best homecoming surprise on YouTube. It's got like 6 million views, almost 7 million views, but you know something? we got to remind ourselves that the men and women who serve us, this is American, but it's the same true for, for uh, you know our armed forces too. They spend a lot of time away from home, and they uh, their families are the ones who pay one of the biggest prices because they're deprived of their uh, mother or father or brother or uncle or whatever it is. And... The families are the ones who have to struggle and, and uh, deal with this. And to see something like this just reminds us again that our men and women at arms do a tremendous job for us and certainly deserve all of our respect. But more just as importantly, we have to help support their families when they're gone away from home because these people, you know, uh, they're a family like anybody else. And uh, just a good news story. All right, now. Okay. Now, there's two stories I want to bring to your attention. I want to ask a question. First of all, did you know that the um, Ontario Progressive Conservative Party, as of just recently, was $7 million in debt? $7 million in debt. Now, Patrick Brown says he paid it off. And he, while he was over in India, he had a, let's see, uh, let's see. Let me start here. Uh, sure, the progressive conservative leader wants to be the premier to tackle the province's financial woes. But first things first, he had to address his own party. Uh, by the way, this comes from the Joe Warmington from Toronto Sun, dated, uh, let's see, January 18th. Okay. Uh, but first things first, he had to address his own party's money issues. How bad was it? How's $7 million sound? Suddenly, the excitement of becoming a party leader went from jubilation to harsh reality. Talk about uphill. But I made it a priority to eliminate that debt, Brown said, in an interview from India where he's searching for investment opportunities to create jobs and meeting with friends, including Indian, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Mostly, Brown is, mostly, Brown is re- readying himself for a wild 18-month ride to the next election in 2018. In politics, no matter which party, you are rarely hear positive news but Brown had some this week. In just 16 months, we accomplished what had never been accomplished in this party before this amount of time. I'm in this amount of time. I'm proud we could eliminate our party debt. All right. Now, the question is, where did all that money come from? Because the reason why I ask that question is how did he pull that off when you have a party that is divided there's a lot of infighting going on. There are huge credibility gaps with uh, between leadership and writing associations with the way candidates are selected. I just don't know. And I'm not saying, look, I don't have any answers to that question. I don't. But how do you pay off $7 million when you've got this kind of infighting? And the reason I ask when I say this kind of infighting, there's a story out of the Toronto Sun uh, let's see, by Joe Warmington, uh, and this is dated the 8th of January this year, and it 
part, it reads like this. Ontario PC leader Patrick Brown and former Mississauga MP Bob De- Deckard served together in former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's Conservative caucus for years. It looked like Deckard might be reunited with his former Ottawa colleague since he had thrown his hat into the ring to run for the Tory nomination in Mississauga Aaron Mills. Let me scroll up a little bit. He was a potential candidate in the 2018 prov- provincial election until Saturday when he dropped a political bomb calling for an, in- an investigation into the party's nomination process and membership registration le- legitimacy. I have lost confidence in the integrity of the party's nomination process, Deckard informed, Deckard informed the party. I have determined to, with, determined to withdraw from the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario candidate selection process set for the 22nd of that month. Deckard was up against declared candidates Sheriff Sabway, Mohamed Latif, Nadim Shaki, and Jespreet Bassi. But Deckard says he's dropping out to protest the allowance of out-of-riding candidates who have worked with the Liberals, as well as signing up instant members who have no background in the party. So with all that going on, and this is not unique. That's the reason I'm raising this question. This is not unique. What is unique is the $7 million payoff. Where did that money come from? I don't know. I'm not suggesting anything nefarious. I just would like to ask him that question. How did you pull that off? You know how many rubber chicken dinners that is? Do you know how many memberships that is? Anyway, I am out of time, folks. That has wrapped it up for me tonight. It is now. Oh, my Lord. Time sure flies when you're having fun. Wait a minute. What am I talking about? (laughs) I'm up till 11. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> there are days it just don't pay to get out of bed. All right, well, we're not done. we got another hour yet. Okay, but anyway, uh, with this whole thing, the, the question, I think there's some legitimate questions to be asked here. How did a f- party that is as rife with internal, internal struggles, uh, has problems with its nomination process, has people uh, dropping out really good, solid candidates, uh, how do you go around signing up people Look, there is more than one. I, I I don't know how many, but I know it's more than 10 different ridings in this province where there's been some kind of nefarious nastiness about how people get nominated. Uh, everything from here in Carlton County with Jay, uh, Jay Tissick and Goldie Gamari. Remember all that? That was in the news a lot. Uh, now you've got Deckert. There was a couple of others I can think of. Uh, yeah, the Oosterhof situation where the young kid actually won, but then was told to shut up and mind his own P's and Q's and don't you dare say anything. You know, in other words, he beat the he beat them at their own game, uh, getting a socially conservative person elected. But then when he got in there, Patrick Brown took him out to the woodshed and said, listen, you little punk, you little kid, don't you dare threaten me. Don't you dare bring up any of these social, social conservative uh, values or there's going to be hell to pay. He's only 19. Of course he's going to do it. You know, he's going to just all of a sudden realize he's, he's, he's gotten himself into a whole world of trouble. All because he decided he was going to be a social conservative and win the nomination. So with all that going on, how do you justify where does that money come from? Like I said, I'm not suggesting anything nefarious. I just want to know how he did it. 
Because, look, if there's one thing I've learned over my time watching politics from the sidelines, raising money is one of the most difficult parts of any political campaign slash career. There are people out there who do their best to make a living at it, and they can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, raising $7 million in that kind of time is a Herculean feat. And he's right, it's never been done before. So how did he do it? I don't know. But I do think it's a question worth asking. Don't you? All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back with more right after this. often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. Thank you. 
All right. Thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You know, we have here in the studio, we're becoming more technically, um, oh, what's the word? Savvy, maybe? We actually had a listener from Germany. <laughs> and we have a map, and it shows us where all the listeners are from. And it's got the whole whole world on there because being on the net, of course. But I just <laughs> I, I had a laugh because it was before showtime, and there's music that plays, and I'm sure somebody was just browsing and said, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and put that on as background music. But when you look at the map, you've got North America, Canada's bright red because everybody's listening is in Canada. It doesn't say where in Canada, but I can find out. You know the kind of platform like there's. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see. Um, there's people using Chrome. Uh, there's people on their desktop. There's some on uh, laptops or the other devices, that kind of thing. And it tells you how many are in each region. So it doesn't tell you where in Canada you are, but it certainly tells me what country you're listening in. And over here we have this uh, one listener in Germany. And I just I, I had a laugh because it's it just it just shows you you never know um, you know how far your voice will travel, especially on the internet. And you know sometimes I wonder. When I'm doing this, uh, you know, am I, is it, is, how do I put it? Not that I, I'm not asking myself if I'm wasting my time. That's not the question. But I'm all, because I'm always asking myself, how do I make the show better? How do I make it more interesting? How do I appeal to more people? And then I watch some of the other stuff that's on the, on YouTube. <laughs> oh man, I got to tell you. Oh boy, there's uh, a lot of people out there with a lot of opinions, and I I don't know. I, I guess you could kind of lump a lot of them together as shock jocks and things like that, and that's not my style. I've never been the kind of guy to, you know, be bombastic and loud. Although I've been accused of that, that's not surprising. I've always felt of myself the way the one of the things that I enjoy about this particular method of communication is I'm not. You know, I am by no means any rocket scientist. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be uh, falsely self-deprecating. I just, you know, I'm comfortable with who I am, and I'm no smarter or, or uh, any less smart than anybody else. I like to think that I could sit down with any member of the audience, for the most part at least, and have a beer and talk about things and in a normal, rational way, and even have a passionate debate. Uh, those are the things that I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, I'm like a lawyer. The only way I could say less is by talking longer. And just, you know, now a lot of these guys, I think if they step outside the studio, uh, you know, they, their persona changes dramatically. But with me, it's what you're listening to is you just ask my kids. <laughs> Somebody who, uh, I'll tell you a little story about uh, the kind of reach you can have sometimes. And this is when I was still doing Answer the Call a number of years ago on that terrestrial radio station. Um, 
I'm always looking, and I'm still, I'm out there looking for uh, historical, uh, you know, Canadian history books on the topic, and I'm still interested very much in our military history. And uh, for those of you who don't recognize the answer to the call, there was a series for about two or three years we ran on CFRA. It was um, 90-second vignettes with sound effects and uh, a voiceover, that was me, uh, telling 90-second stories of Canadian military history. Because in my estimation, we have very little to be ashamed of. And we can hold our heads high with the the quality of the men-at-arms that we've had over our long existence on this continent, going all the way back to the Plains of Abraham, uh, which is where I think Canadian history begins, right up to present day. And I would tell these stories, and they were just amazing. I, I absolutely loved doing them. I got some tremendous feedback uh, from all kinds of people. And one day, my daughter and my niece, my oldest daughter, uh, they were in a bookstore in Pembroke. And they were kind of poking around. And in the background, the guy had the radio station on. And he was going on and on about um, how much he in thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed Lowell Green. But, geez, this Vandergrat guy, when he fills in for him, just can't stand him. He's arrogant. He's full of himself. But I love that answer to the call. Oh, my Lord, I love that answer to the call. Is that ever good? He went on and on and on. And just on one hand, tearing me apart, and on the other hand, uh, raving about how much he enjoyed Answer the Call. And my daughter and my niece just kind of didn't say much, looked at each other with knowing winks and nods, and and all of a sudden he stopped mid-sentence. And he said, wait a minute, do you know Nick Vandergrat? And Kate looked at him with a bit of a smirk on her face, and she said, well, he is my father. Well... <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on the wall because he backpedaled 150 miles an hour. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't mean it. it and look, it doesn't bother me. If after eight kids and 13 years in the media, something like that bothers me, I've been in the wrong business for a long time. <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't bother me at all. But anyway, it was just funny. It was just funny to hear an unfiltered view you know, because not everybody who listens. And it, that's true of every radio talk show host, regardless of the forum, regard, regardless of the media. Like if you're familiar with Bill Whittle, okay, I just love, I think he's great. I love his delivery. I love the way that he presents stuff. He's one of the great voices of modern conservatism. If you don't know who he is, go look him up on Facebook and just watch him. Watch First with a Bullet. I might suggest you start there. It's all about gun control. And the real truth about it, how effective it is, and all that kind of stuff. So if you get a chance to watch that, go ahead. But um, <laughs> it's just the way some people put themselves across. He's just, you know, I just lost my train of thoughts what just happened there. But um, when it comes to the way that I do it, I just like to be who I am, express a view, and I think a lot of people share it. And that has, if I have any kind of notoriety at all, a notoriety at all, is that I relate to a lot of people. I've done a lot of things in life. Good Lord, I've done way too many almost. Uh, some of them I can't even remember. But uh, what it does is it gives me enough of a background that I can talk to most people about anything, at least with some level of intelligence. At the same time, without having to appear, you don't have to appear like you're, you know, God's gift to this or that. I just don't... Um, 
I just don't uh, like coming across that way. If you don't like me for who I am, that's fine. Um, if you don't like me, then what's that old song? If you don't like me, then leave me alone. If you don't like me, then leave me alone. Ah, there's a song with that line in that I can't remember what it is now. Anyhow, um, so with that said, let's get back into this. Uh, oh, but <laughs> I thought this was funny. I, I, I know I wasn't going to talk about Trump anymore, but this, you know, sometimes people ask for it. They really do. And the mainstream media and the, the social elite, Hollywood elite, the entertainment types, they get so caught up in the kinds of things that they believe in, right, that they think they that somehow because they're an actor or singer or something like that, the world should stop, kiss the ground they walk on because they're so much smarter and have so much more money than anybody. See, I think what happens with these Hollywood types is they think wealth translates to intelligence. They think that just because they have a lot of money that they are smarter than everybody else. Now, in a lot of ta- in a lot of cases, that actually is true but not of actors and actresses. Because an actor or an actress, and I went over this last week or the week before, they're just good at memorizing other people's lines. The real genius. If you watch a movie and, and DiCaprio gives a brilliant speech pretending he's Howard Hughes in The Aviator, DiCaprio didn't think that up. They're probably stealing a speech right out of Howard Hughes' mouth, the original, the real one. Okay, Or if you watch Independence Day, the original, when the president gets up on that on the wing of that F-18 and gives that, we will not go quietly into the night, <laughs> that's stolen from Shakespeare, King Henry V. Okay? There's nothing new there. These people, they're not thinking this up and going with it on the spot. Very few people can do that. They've just memorized something somebody else wrote for them, so they've got a very good memory and can portray emotions, but that's it. It doesn't automatically... Switch over to intelligence. Now, why am I wasting your time telling you all this? Because one of these icons has found there are consequences to saying stupid things. And that, of course, would be Madonna. Now, look. There's a picture. Oh, you've got to see the picture. It's it's mine. It just breaks your heart. There's Madonna in a black and white picture. Now, what's really funny ironic maybe a better word you've got a picture of the of the pop star madonna which i got no use for and there's a tear her whole the whole left side of her face is just soaked and there's a tear running down towards the corner of her mouth right and she's weeping in the background kind of fuzzy but you have an image of the blessed virgin mary and the sacred heart transposed over her so you've got this religious iconic picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of Christ, in the background with Madonna weeping. Now, what message they're trying to send with that shot, I have no idea. But, and I digress, because that's not what I'm trying to I just thought, thought, when I saw that, I thought, oh, isn't that ironic? Um, but the breaking news from a, a website called theredstatewatcher.com uh, is this. A Texas radio station has banned all Madonna material from airing after her anti-American terrorist remarks at a women's march last Saturday. (laughs) I saw this. Excuse me. 
I saw this video clip. And she's up there on the stage with the microphone in, cr- in front of thousands of people. And she says, you know, I thought long and hard about blowing up the White House. You know, where I come from, that's called inciting, not a, inciting a riot, but you might even call that sedition. Okay? Certainly it's anti-patriotic or anti-American. Or in our case, if it happened here, anti-Canadian. Can you imagine somebody? uh, Yeah, actually, I can in this country. When Stephen Harper was prime minister saying, I've thought long and hard about blowing up up Parliament Hill. (laughs) That's a crime. Anyway, all right. So truthfeed.com reported after Madonna, uh, after Madonna, sorry, truthfeed.com reported after Madonna made terroristic threats about blowing up the White House, at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., a radio station in Texas has banned her from adorning their airwaves, citing her un-American sentiments. Now, here's, what she's, here's the quote that got her in trouble. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House, she screeched at the event. The radio station in Texarkana, Texas, has stated henceforth they will be banning all Madonna songs, a decision... St- uh, they say is not a matter of politics, but a matter of patriotism. You know, look, this is the part that that just I have I have a problem. This is why I, I think that most of these actors and actresses don't have a lot going on upstairs. They've got a little compartment inside their head that says memory stick, and that's where they put their scripts, right? And now some of them, there are some actors I have a lot of respect for, Denzel Washington. Um, I really like some of the stuff that Morgan Freeman has said, especially about things like Black History Month. There's a very famous, uh, um, very famous interview. The clip's only about two minutes long, but he's with um, the ABC News reporter uh, Wallace. I want to say William Wallace, but I'm afraid I'm referring to uh, the guy, uh, William Wallace from Braveheart fame. But his last name was Wallace, and you'd know him as soon as you saw him. Uh, anyway... Uh, he did an interview with him, and Morgan Freeman basically said, I don't need a black history month. It's American history. You know, um, the fact I'm black has nothing to do with it. I'm American. So he had some very good things to say about that. But Bandana and some, uh, the vast majority of DiCaprio, you, uh, what's his name there from um, uh, Top Gun? Um, he did uh, The Last Samurai, and he did a bunch of other stuff. Drawn a blank. I want to say Tom Selleck, but no, that's not it. Tom Selleck actually has a, he- a brain in his head. Come on, Tom Cruise. Um, anyway, uh, you know, there's dozens of examples of, of people who are very good at memorizing but really lousy at using what God gave them for brains. But she actually now is paying the price for this because she didn't think through the consequences. She's been so, she's had people fawning over her her whole life as an actress. No one's ever had the courage to say to her, you, you know, that's really a stupid thing to say. She's surrounded by people who go, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, and she gets whatever she wants whenever she wants it. There's never been any consequences. And that, again, going back to the millennials, is something that we, we now see playing itself out on the streets of North America, in Europe, and all that sort of thing. Now, I will tell you this much, that because of the win in the United States with this... Uh, Populist. Uh, populist is a new word, by the way. It's not a new word, but it's they've changed the meaning of it. We used to call it um, patriotic. If you had a populist prime minister, 
He was a patriotic prime minister. He put his country first. We don't have one now. We have a transnationalist who doesn't care about the country, only cares about the UN and getting a seat on the Security Council. But a populist is, a, is a, now a derogatory term that used to, because used to, you can't say somebody's unpatriotic, but you can't say these damn populists. You can't say these damn patriots. You know, what are they doing loving the country they were born in? What kind of nonsense is that? How are we supposed to build a one-world government with people like that running around? Well, she's one of them. Never really thought through what would happen if she said it. Now, in Europe, because of all this stuff that's been going on, uh, Holland, it looks like Holland, uh, there's a chance that France will go this way as well. But there's real rumblings now about leaving the European Union. Even in Germany, there's a rising tide of this stuff. And I think this is the, the pendulum swinging back. That the free countries of the world and the free people of the world have had enough of elites living in ivory towers, looking down on us and saying, you great unwashed morons, you great unwashed idiots, how dare you get in the way of our plans? How dare you interfere with what, how dare you not get in the cattle car and ride into the camps and just be good little minions to run our factories to make our lives easier. It's, a, it's the kind of images that come out of movies like the Hunter Game, Hunger Games or the Maze Runner or some of these other ones that have come out recently. And I'm watching these things going, boy, it sure looks like a not all that far into the future if you take and look at what these policies eventually lead to. So... There's a movement coming. There's a tidal wave that's going to sweep over the Western world and it's going to throw a lot of wrenches in a lot of machinery designed to do nothing more than enslave us. And I'm happy to see it happen. I really am. All right, we'll take a short break. When we get back, I'm going to um, let you in on a few things that uh, we're working on behind the scenes here. Not too much, but just give you an idea that uh, we are trying to make the show better and trying to broaden its appeal, that kind of stuff. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of that when we get back right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile.
There was this, oh, right, before I get into that, um, just to let you know that there, we are working on a bunch of different things behind the scenes uh, to make the show better. And Because uh, you, you always, if, you, if you're not getting better, you're standing, you're, you're treading water, and sooner or later, you know, you drown. So we don't want to do that. So we are working on a bunch of different things, most of which I can't tell you about. Um, but let's just say that in the coming weeks and months ahead, um, we're going to try to broaden the appeal of the show by adding to it different shows and podcasts from people other than just myself. Um, we're going to have, you know, we're going to try to uh, broaden not only the appeal, it won't be just politics, there'll be some other things as well. Um, well, I guess in this world, pretty much everything is political at some point. But, um, you know, we've got different ideas about uh, uh, maybe we'll do some stuff on the environment, maybe landowners' rights, uh, you know, thing, all things that we're all passionate about, but just to give uh, a little more input. And let me ask you this. Um, you can either send me, uh, you can call me, uh, by the way, the number is 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Um, if you want to give me a call, or you can send me an email to nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or you can uh, send me something on Facebook if you'd like. Give me an idea. Give me some kind of feedback about what kind of things that you'd like to see on the show. And by the show, I'm talking about in general, uh, you know, that you would come to this particular webpage to listen to, Late Night Council. What are the things that you find interesting that you would be, um, you know, that you would be compelled to come and listen to? Is it economic analysis? Is it more political points, you know, people with uh, maybe a little different take than mine on when it comes to uh, politics? Um, are you, is there something from a uh, general interest point of view? Um, you know, how to tune your car? I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there. We haven't got any plans in, in concrete yet. So if you want to have some say in the way that, uh, or if you want to have a chance to have some kind of an influence on the shape of what we're doing here, send me a note. Let me know doesn't mean that we're going to do exactly what it is that you suggest but it doesn't mean we won't either you know we're just looking trying to um, put together the best possible experience listening experience for you so that you keep coming back and that uh, you know it's all about audience retention it's all about making it interesting and a place that you feel at home a place where you can come to in the evening sit with a coffee listen Maybe join into the conversation, uh, learn some stuff, contribute some stuff, and have it kind of like uh, just a big fireside chat. I know Bishop Fulton Sheen back in the 30s used to do those, and they were hugely successful. Now, we're just kind of broadening the reach uh, here because when you do online stuff, you don't do a whole lot of local stuff simply because people in Alberta couldn't care less about parking regulations in downtown Ottawa. So you have to keep it some, on the level that would appeal to people, uh, you know, in as broad a spectrum as possible. But if you've got issues or if you've got things, uh, topics, or in general or specifically that you'd like to see us work with or talk about, then by all means, let me know. Uh, so that way you can have a little bit of an input 
And like I said, there's no guarantee that we'll use the idea, but it'll certainly go in the blender and maybe something uh, that'll spark something uh, that may that you'll find interesting that'll come out of that. I mean, there's an old saying, too many cooks spoil the stew, but at the same time, adding ingredients in the right by the cook in the right amount at the right time can make a wonderful experience. And that's what we're trying to do here. So stay tuned. Um, we'll have, uh, you'll, you'll start to see some changes around here about what's going to happen. I don't want to get, I don't want to give you anything specific because there's nothing done. Uh, we don't have anything in concrete just yet. We are still looking for sponsors. So if you have a business or, or, um, something along that line, if you've got a, um, uh, if you've got something that you want to promote, um, and you're willing to partner with us as far as, uh, sponsorship is concerned, send me a note. I know there was one gentleman that has a construction company who got a hold of me and if you're listening i lost your your email address i can't find it i would like to get back to you about that because you had some really good ideas but um if you run a business or uh, offer a service or something like that and you want to help us out uh we have uh, you know we've got some rates and things like that that we can discuss with you about different ways of supporting of supporting the business and some unique ones too that you might find interesting um so just send us a note, and we'll get in touch with you and uh, see what we can do to uh, help pay the bills around here so we can keep this on the air and keep things going so that as we go down the road and add to this experience, uh, you'll just find it more and more enjoyable because that's the whole point of doing this is not only to get your blood boiling and make you pound a table in fury, but to make you laugh, to make you, you know, just uh, laugh just go through the whole roller coaster of experiences. There's going to be, in my years in the media, I've gone through all the emotions. You know, from deep, profound sadness to absolute belly laugh to fury to you name it. And that's, you know something, I have one person say, look, if you're always monotone, you might as well be dead. And I thought, you know what, he's got a point. If life is nothing but a flat line... <laughs> Guess what? You don't got a pulse. <laughs> so, and the other one I liked was uh, only dead fish swim, go with the flow. And he's right. Because <laughs> if you're alive, you're always fighting into the current, aren't you? So remember, the life, if life is hard and it's a struggle, uh, there's a very good chance that you're very much alive. But if, ever, if you never have to face any challenges and life is too easy for you, you're probably a dead fish floating down the current just waiting to get swept out to your uh, uh, final it, destiny out in the ocean and that's going to be the end of you all right so i want to one of the things i want now i will share with you this i would i'm, I'm working i'm going to find a way and some time to put together because i of course i love history and one of the things i would love to do because i love music too is to put together a program and i don't mean a one of program i'm talking about a series of um uh how do I put it? Well, let me start start this way. Uh, you tell the story, go back into the very early, early beginnings of Canada as a country. And you would tell the story of the fur trade because that's what really opened up the country. So you'd have, you'd tell stories about the voyageurs and you'd tell stories about the early explorers and you would use, um, I have a friend of mine who just absolutely loves the old voyageur, voyageur songs. They're all in French. But so what? It's part of our culture. Like, I, I don't have anything against French. I have it. I have a problem when somebody tries to stuff it down my throat, 
but I don't have a problem with the language in general, and it is part of our history. So he plays a lot of these uh, Voyager tunes, and actually they're a lot of fun to listen to. I don't understand a word of it, but he's very good at playing it and singing it and so on. You can almost, when he does it, I know I've had him, his, main, his name is Manuel Dovin, and he's on Spotify, actually. There's about half a dozen tunes. or He's got an album out of this kind of music. So the idea would be to tell you a story and then play a song that goes with the story or fits into that story. And then you might move into the lumber years, you know, in the early pioneer days when the land is being explored and settled and, and the lumber, um, the harvesting of the white pine, the red pine, and the oak, and all that stuff to build uh, the British Navy during its heyday and floating logs down the river and sending them all overseas, which, you know, developed the, econ the early economy and tell those stories and the music that came from that era and then just move through each generation and each period telling stories and using music to educate people about how their country came to be what it is. I've always wanted to do that. I've just never had the format. So that's something I want to work on and see and see what um, see how that goes because to have it to play a little chapter every week of that I think over over a course of time uh, would be a lot of fun and I think would uh, I think people would enjoy it so that's just an example of the kind of things that I I'm certainly looking forward to being able to do and uh, we also have um, you know opportunities for. Um, uh, we're, we're looking at um, bringing on other people and, and different points of view and, and different topics and things like that just to make sure that uh, we stay uh, current and, and relevant and that it's something that you want to get involved in and, and uh, have as part of your daily ex experience. I'm just looking at Facebook here, and somebody brought up a really good one, uh, Common Law and Our Rights. That's, um, that's, uh, that's a something I'm, I'm passionate about too. Another one is Alternative Off-the-Grid Living. You know, these, these are some really good ideas. Now, how we'll do that, I don't know. You know, maybe that's having a guest in the studio to talk about those things. Like, if you look at, at, at uh, life today and they're just taking this alternative off-the-grid living with the price of hydro, this, the interest in this. I mean, imagine if there was a way where you could, without having to give up and go back to the 1870s. Do you remember that series that was on TV about 10 years ago called Life on the Prairie? Or life in the was it Pioneer Quest? That was it. Pioneer Quest, a life in the a year in the life of the real West, where they took a couple, two couples, and they put them out on the Saskatchewan prairie, and they gave them everything that was available in 1870, all the technology. But that's where it ended. The only thing they had was what was available in 1870, and they had to survive a year on the prairies. That I gobbled that up. I watched every moment of that. Because, look, I don't care where you live. There's an attraction and an appeal. There's something about that that I think is something that a lot of people would find. Um, oh, boy. There's something about it that just appeals to your basic instincts, doesn't it? Like, who wouldn't like to be able to learn, if you don't know, how to start a fire without matches? Something as simple and basic as that. To get, I hate to use the phrase to get back to the land because that is so 60s hippie stuff. But I, I'm having a hard time coming up with another. To get back, let me phrase it this way, to get back to our agrarian roots. You know, we used to have fun with this on food day. Uh, we'd bring people in and let them try to milk a cow. 
or we'd have milking competitions. And I won the last one, by the way. I blew a little green out of the water. Anyway, um, I won't get into that. But there's all kinds of things that I think people are curious about because we've forgotten them. We have forgotten a tremendous number of skills. I was telling my, my – I have a son who wants to become a blacksmith. He wants to get into making armor and weapons and things like that. But before he gets to that, he has to learn the fundamentals of blacksmithing. But I'm all for it. I think this is a great idea because there's a certain satisfaction. And I'm rambling here. I know that. And I hope you'll tolerate it for a little bit because I found that clip, by the way. <laughs> I'll play this for you. It's called Violence is Necessary. Uh, but I'll, and I'll play that for you in a minute. But there's something satisfying about using your hands to do a job. And when that's over, you turn around, you look back, and the job's done and it's stacked. Like the simplest example I can use is split a cord of firewood. Go out there, take a chainsaw, cut a log into the 16-inch lengths, stand those pieces on their end, take an axe, and split them in four, or five or six, depending on how big the piece of wood is. And just the satisfaction that comes from that is is so, in, I don't know what word to use, but it just gives you such a simple, deep-down satisfaction that when you're done, there's a whole four four foot high by 16 inch wide by eight foot long row of wood that you're going to burn in your house in the wood stove to help keep you warm. You can see the, the product of your work. It's right there in front of you. The evidence of how hard you worked is right there. Okay, and there's all kinds of tasks. So to get back to the blacksmith thing, um, my son Mark Anthony has this fascination. He's 16, and he has a fascination for all these the the um, all the old medieval weapons. He can tell you the difference between a two-handed bastard sword and a claymore. He can tell you the difference between a long sword and a short sword. You know, a pole, a halberd, a pole axe, uh, a longbow. All these different things. It's his passion, and I'm not going to rain on his parade. Now, <laughs> he wants. To <laughs> you should have seen the look on his mother's face. He wants to put a forge. I've got. On the farm, I have a um, cinder block building. Okay, we call it the garage. There hasn't been a car in it in decades. But it abuts onto some old carriage buildings, which we now use as just shelters for the horses to give them someplace to go if it's really miserable out. And he, <laughs> I walked in there one day, and he's got a patio stone on the floor. And he's got it. It's a patio stone is like 24 by 24, right? Squares, but an inch thick. And he's got a bunch of old red bricks around the edges of it about, oh, I'm going to say eight inches high. And the middle of it, he's got about four or five pieces of wood that have obviously been burnt. <laughs> and I started to laugh because there's no chimney, okay? <laughs> Imagine starting a fire in the middle of your living room floor, even if you laid so that nothing's going to catch on fire. How long could you stay in the room, okay? The smoke would drive you out in no time. Now, it's not that he doesn't know that. But he's so impatient, he doesn't want to wait uh, till we get him a proper building to put his forge in so he can go ahead and learn the basics of blacksmithing. He's just that eager. And so I just had to laugh, and I said, no, no, Mark, you're not lighting any more fires. He said, what's you going to do, burn down? Because it's made of cinder block. <laughs> I said, no, you're going to die of smoke inhalation. That's what's going to happen. So I had to put the kibosh on that. 
but the, the satisfaction comes from learning how to start out with something as basic as how to make a nail. Now think about that. If you went back 100 years, you didn't go to the hardware store and buy 50 pounds of nails in the size and length and twist that you want, right? Because you have straight Ardox nails, which have their, their, they've got the twist to them, so they're harder to pull out. They hold better. you got the straight nails, and each of them have their own uses. But back then, you just basically had a forge, some raw steel, an anvil, and a hammer. And you took your steel and you heated it up and you put it on the anvil and you pounded it with a hammer into the shape you wanted. And there's a skill to that. And when you look at some of these old buildings, that you'll find the heads of the nails are square. And the reason the heads of the nails are square is because the whole nail is square. It tapers to a point, but it's square because they had no means to make it round. It wasn't until mechan uh, mechanization and the Industrial Revolution came along in the 1880s and 90s that they figured out how to make, basically a nail is just a piece of wire cut to a certain length and a certain diameter with a point on the end and a flat end on one. And it's, it, Just watch how they make things. and On YouTube, you'll figure that out. But before that, they had to make everything by hand. And it's why when you had a fire in the pioneering time, if, if um, let's say back in 1850, if you had a house fire, it wasn't just the loss of the house that was devastating. It was the thousands of man hours that went into making everything in it by hand. The table, the chairs, everything, the candles, you know, the bookshelves, the pantry, all the food that was all prepared and canned in the pantry by hand. If you lost it, you lost everything. All the clothing that was made by hand. All the tools that were made by hand, anything in the house was gone. You didn't go to the hardware store to buy new stuff. There was no insurance. So you had to start all over again. And we think we've got it hard. All right, I've rambled long enough. Uh, we're going to take a little break here. When we get back, I'm going to play you this clip. This poor, this poor kid, he's 19 years old, and it's worth listening to. You listen to this, and we'll be right back. often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change. But what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. 
The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org. Right, there you go. That's uh, welcome back, everybody. Three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero or eight four four five six two four seven six six. All right. I, you know, I think that's Steve Miller, that last piece, Swingtown. I'll have to look that up. I always did like that band. Whoever they are, they're good. All right. I promised I'd find this clip, and I have. Prom- I'm trying to be like Trump. I'm going to keep my promises. Um. This poor kid has no idea what's about to happen to him. And it's it's funny, but it's sad at the same time because, you know, he's a he's a nineteen year old skull full of mush that obviously got cheated out of twelve years of education because he doesn't know the first thing about civics one oh one. Now again, this comes from the States, but it I don't see it being a whole lot different up here, so here we go. My name is Duskin Johnson. I'm from Boise, Idaho, and I'm here with my family on a vacation. And you're 19, so this was your first opportunity to vote this last year. Who did you vote for? I voted for Hillary Clinton. And why is that? I voted against Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so what do you have to look forward to then from a Trump presidency? Uh, that's a good question. You know, uh, Trump, I feel like the, he, he can bring a lot of positive aspects to the U.S. economically-wise. Uh, that was a joke. You weren't supposed to give me a serious answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly don't know. So what was the significant difference for for Clinton versus Trump for you? You know, um, Hillary had more of a, of, of a substance to her. Trump doesn't, he lacks humanitarian substance, but that's about all I could say to it, you know? So what is her substance? What's that? What is her substance? She's more humanitarian, you know. Trump, uh, can, can you substantiate that at all? 
She does lack decision making, I guess you could say. What 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 has she done that that makes you come to the conclusion that she's more humanitarian? Uh, she has experience in political situations, such as Trump doesn't. You, know? you see how you're still avoiding this though. Like what 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 did she actually do that you would say qualifies her as a humanitarian? I guess I couldn't say. I guess I couldn't say. I don't really know her personally, so, you know. You think if you, before the most important election of your life, you'd yeah. want to do a little more research, right? Well, let me let me put you on the spot then. Yeah, okay. We're in front of your family here. We're going to make it even harder for you. Okay. You voted for someone to be in charge of government. What is government? What is government? Uh, government is, is something that has uh, oversee of the United States population. I don't understand what you're... So they oversee, but, like, there, there are lots of other organizations within the United States. You could say, like, oversee different things within the United States, right? Like like the Red Cross oversees a widespread network of charities, like Goodwill oversees a widespread network of, of yeah. donation centers, right? So what is it that makes... what it, Define it for me, please, and what is government? How would you define government? Did you, did you go to a government school? No. You went to a private school? No. I did. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, now I say what you're saying. Yeah. So you went to a government school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it's not surprising that they didn't teach you what government really is, because what makes government unique right. yeah. is that it, it's a territorial monopoly on violence, yeah. right? Like, if I put a gun to your head and say, give me half your income, and I'm going to call it taxes, I go to jail. But if the IRS does that, they get a paycheck for that, right? right. If, if I wanted to uh, lock you in a cage because you did some drugs that I don't like, I get in trouble for that. I get in trouble for kidnapping. But if, if the government passes a law and does that, then, then they can do it, right? So do, do you see what makes yeah. government unique? Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, government's necessary, but the way our government is our government in the United States, I think it's completely... There's some negatives to it. What is government necessary for? Control of the uh, population. I don't really like saying control. Control is not really a good well, no, word. No, it is appropriate, though, because yeah. it's governed. To govern is to control. When we talk about government, everything it does is backed up by violence, right? If you don't cooperate, men with guns come and lock you in a cage. I don't know if violence, especially in this day and age, is really necessary. Well, what happens if you don't pay your taxes? You get kicked. Right. Dad knows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You go to jail, right? Yeah. So when when you say government is necessary, what you're really saying is violence is necessary. So is is that really true though? I mean, because because from my understanding, human relationships that are free of violence, right? That are that are voluntary, that are are cooperative, are always better to relationships based on violence. Right. So what's what do we really need in terms of like organizing society or getting along? What do we need violence for? I think violence is necessary in the sense that establishes better uh, relations and control of hum humanity as a whole. You know, getting or maybe rid or controlling uh, certain aspects of uh, humanity. Should people be controlled or should they be free? People should be free, but I think violence is necess uh, necessary. If you want to control people. For it. I want to let people be free, but I just want to ask you one last question then. Isn't it a little funny that you went to a school run by government and you just graduated, right? I mean, you did 12 years of government school. And in all that time, 
They didn't teach you what government is. They couldn't define it for you properly as a territorial monopoly on violence. And they've tricked you into voting for someone based on reasons that you can't even articulate and think that you've done your duty in participating in society. Why do you think that is? Do you think, do you think they're lying to you to take advantage of you in some way to get you to maybe go along with paying taxes for the rest of your life? In a sense, yeah. I mean, that, isn't that what high school is, though? Isn't that what the school system's for? Is Indoctrination? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> you know, you, al <clears throat> you almost feel sorry for the poor kid. He didn't see any of this coming and just walked into it. Now, I do not agree with the host's um, interpretation of what government is. There is a role for government. And yes, sometimes there is even a reason for violence. I mean, what do you do with people who, who behave violently? You know, this is where you get into the hug-a-thug kind of mentality. So I w if I was having this conversation with uh, the guy doing the interview and he asked me what's government, well, government is, uh, a certain, is an agency that we as a population elect to do things for us collectively that we cannot do ourselves, such as defend the country, establish the borders maintain and, and control trade and do do these kinds of things that you and I want done because they're beneficial but can't do on our own. That's, in a nutshell, what government is. So I don't agree with his assessment, but you got to feel sorry for the kid. I mean, he had no idea. And it's embarrassing and it's sad, but the kid was at least a sport about it. He didn't get angry. He didn't get thing. But I just thought it was funny. I want to share that with you because... This isn't the fact that he's an American isn't doesn't mean that every American is is this uneducated and it doesn't mean that every Canadian is smarter than this guy. There's a lot of really uneducated Canadians. Um, some of them populate my Facebook page, isn't that right, Eli? Um, <laughs> sorry, that was mean. It was funny, but it was mean. So anyway, that's <laughs> that's enough of that. All right, now I'm done. It has been a pleasure. I certainly. Felt like I had lots to get off my chest. I certainly hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it is available on podcast. And like I said, if you've got any ideas about what you'd like the show to evolve into or what you'd like included in the show, send me an email, nick at cfra.com or at nick at uh, latenightcouncil.com. Uh, send me a note on Facebook, however you want to do it. Give me, Let me know, and uh, we'll discuss it, kick it around, and see if um, there's any meat to this that we could make it work. Like I said, it might not be exactly as you envision it, but something like that, every ingredient we have to draw from will make a better stew if we use it right. So thank you all very much for listening. It's been wonderful, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Ubi caritas et amor. Deus ibi est. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can so fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be 
parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that era I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. Oh, since it fell.